Uh, as you know, in, in uh, weeks and months past, on Wednesday evenings, we've had the opportunity to study together the kings of Judah, and I'd like to continue that study tonight. I trust you had a handout. Anybody did not get a handout that would like one? Well, we have a few here, gentlemen, if we could. Thank you very much. While we do those, I'll just review. There are 19 kings of Judah, uh, and there are eight good and 11 bad, and of those eight good, the scripture makes that division for us. It's not one that that we uh, have said, oh, that's good. No, he's bad. Uh, the scripture makes those divisions, and we'll see that tonight even with uh, King Manasseh that we will uh, look at. But of those eight good, there are there's even a division there between the four that the scripture designates as very good or, or after uh, follow after the ways of their father David or, or those who were, were good. So there's very good, good and bad. And there's even levels of bad, which we'll uh, look at a little, bit, a little bit later. Okay, anyone still need a handout who would like one? Thank you, gentlemen. Let's have a word of prayer together. Okay, Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the truths of your word, that even though uh, the events we're going to look at have happened so many, many years ago, there is still truth here for us today, all these many years later. Lord, may we open our hearts, even as the ladies have sung, may we make room for Jesus in, in, in our hearts as we look into your word, and, and each time we open your word. We'll thank you for it, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many of you probably know the name John Bunyan. Um, John Bunyan was a tinker turned pastor, and you know he spent many years, a number of years in prison because of his convictions and ministerial uh, convictions. And during this time in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote another book um, as, as, as well. And this book was entitled, in fact, the title of uh, your handout there tonight, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Bunyan considered himself a chief of sinners, as did the Apostle Paul. You see there, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, that Paul penned. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And we're going to look, as we've already mentioned, at Manasseh, king of Judah, um, and you'll see that he really was a chief of sinners. Many, many evil and, and wicked things did this king uh, allow and, and do himself. And amazingly enough, he was the king, uh, he was the king's son, uh, King Hezekiah, one of the godliest men. Uh, more, more space in scripture was provided to King Hezekiah than any other king of Judah. That's recorded in the Chronicles. Um, but uh, if, if Manasseh were to write his, his autobiography, per, perhaps he would uh, call it uh, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners as well. But before his uh, conversion, few individuals of the Old Testament so illustrate the grace of God in reaching down to this Chief of Sinners. 
Let's just look at some numbers here. If you'd like to fill in the blanks, I'll try to help you do that. So let's meet Manasseh. Second Chronicles chapter 33 is where we'll be most of the time tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 33, uh, verse 1 says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem. Manasseh was the longest reigning king uh, as well. So skipping ahead here. So your first blank came to throne at age 12. <clears throat> at age 12, and he reigned for 55 years. He was the longest uh, reign of any of the kings of Judah. Uh, his reign does seem to have overlapped with his father for a few years, as was common in those days. Uh, verse 2, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So your blank there, your third blank is worst. He was the worst king of Judah. Now that's arguably so. His uh, grandfather Ahaz comes in a close second uh, for sure. Uh, but Ahaz, Manasseh, Typically, most, uh, most will con um, say that Manasseh ranks at the bottom there. So if you do a survey of the lives of kings of Judah, you'll notice that the scripture declares uh, degrees of evil. Okay, So some of the kings did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart. We see that with Amaziah. Uh, others had a heart that was not wholly devoted to the Lord. And King Abijah uh, is there, 1 Kings 15.7. And still others walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now that was not a compliment. Uh, we had mentioned already that the kings of Judah, there being 19, there's also uh, one bad queen that we try to forget about, Athaliah. Uh, but of those, of those 19, there were eight good, but 11 bad. In the kings of Israel, there were no good. The scripture does not declare any of the kings of Israel as good, so to speak. But as of, of um, Manasseh and Ahaz, the scripture records that these men did evil like unto the abomination of the heathen. And we see that. Uh, in verse 2, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abomination of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now we are going to take uh, your number one there, the chief of sinners. Your blank is sinners. We're going to, uh, we are going to detail, the scripture details the wickedness and the evil of Manasseh, uh, and Judah at this time will um, take some time to do that. So Manasseh evidences no respect or heart for the God of heaven. It seems like he's willing to worship anything and everything except the God of heaven. Reminds me somewhat of our day today. We're right, it's become wrong, everything seems to be backward and upside down. Um, so letter A, rebuilt the high places. We'll look at verse 3. Again, Second Chronicles 33, verse 3. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves 
and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So Manasseh's father, again, was Hezekiah. And if you remember, he had, he had great reforms to get rid of all of those, to get rid of the evil and the wickedness of the high places and of the, the idolatry. And he, he worked diligently uh, to, to cleanse Judah of that, uh, as it were, and tearing down the high, high places. But Manasseh here, he goes and he flips it back. He reverses and tries to reverse what his father had done. Letter B, placed pagan altars in the temple courts. In the temple, he placed idols. Verses 4 and 5. Uh, he also built... Uh, sorry, verse 4. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. And he built, verse 5, altars for all the host of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. So Manasseh, uh, there, okay, so in Solomon's temple, there were, uh, there were two courts. Well, there was an elevated inner court, and that was for the priests, and then there was an outer court that was for all, uh, all, of, all of the Israelites, right? So Manasseh treated neither of these courts with respect, or, nor as sacred. Um, he went in, and these, these merely became platforms to worship creation. You see, uh, the scripture says, the host of heaven. So instead of worshiping the creator, they created idols out of his creation and worshiped the creation in the very temple of God. So how foolish when men exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the objects of his creation, which they see around him. Letter C, we have practiced child sacrifice and divination. Let's read verse 6. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and evil with familiar spirits and wizards and wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now the Bible, I'd just make a little rabbit trail here. Um, the Bible does deal with evil and wickedness, all right? And sometimes people use that as an, as an excuse for their entertainment that they can fill their minds with this. Do you notice that just, it's just a pass-by, right? We don't spend 20 minutes detailing all of this, which some of the wicked entertainment of our world does that, okay? So please don't use the, the idea that the scripture presents presents wickedness that we can spend in our entertainment and dwelling on those things. The scripture just passes right by it and doesn't detail it in, in, this, in this case. All right. So in verse 6, we use five words to, to um, describe the sorcery and the divination. We'll go over those in just a minute. And that does not include, um, that does not include the, the passing... The, the children through the fire, which in other words were child sacrifices as part of their worship, right? Uh, so we see the, the words observed times and used enchantments. 
So these are the use of persons or objects to discern the future or that which is otherwise unknowable. We see the word witchcraft. These are sorceries, which may have included casting charms or casting spells. All right, in the form of divination. Uh, I'm sorry, the scripture says dealt with familiar spirits and wizards uh, consulting with the dead. Right? All right, through medium or spiritists. Now, of course, all of these have their modern day counterparts, don't they? We wish that we could say, oh, this is something that was done back. But we know we can go. You, could, you drive down many of our roads and, and you see uh, the modern soothsayers where they'll, they'll read the tarot card for you. You have horoscopes. They still look into crystal balls, tea leaves, or they'll read your palm or through seances. This wickedness is still, it's still today. It still goes on. Ouija boards. All of these practices are wrong, folks. We should not, they are of the devil. We should not be involved in any of these. All right? God keeps the future from us for a reason, and we need to trust him for that. So all of these practices are wrong, and it is a great abomination in the sight of God, and we see that in the scriptures here. Letter D, he placed an idol in the house of the Lord. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Again, Second Chronicles 33, verses 7 and 8. He said, a carved image, the idol, which he had made in the house of God, in which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever Neither will I any more remove my foot from Israel, from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law of the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. He placed an idol. In 2 Kings, remember, we can, we can sometimes fill in the gaps between uh, the two and get a little bit more... Uh, information between the kings and the chronicles. And here in 2 Kings 21, verse 7, has the, the, instead of as we have here, and he said a carved image, the idol which he had made, in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 7, calls it a graven image of the grove. Now that gives us a little bit more of an idea. Uh, here is obviously a reference to the a carved Asherah pole, and Asherah was a Canaanite goddess, was often associated with the worship of Baal. The Baal worship is a carved wooden pole. And he takes this that was regularly associated with that idolatrous Baal worship, and he takes that item and puts it in the temple of the holy God. So now Manasseh moves this wooden image of Asherah into the actual temple itself. Letter E, shed much blood. Your blank is blood. And if you would turn with me now, we're going to head over to 2 Kings chapter 21. You can keep your finger or a marker there in 2 Chronicles 33. We will be back. 2 Kings chapter 21. We're going to read verse 16 together. Second Kings 
21.16 says, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Beside his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin, in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. The author of Kings makes it very clear, informs us that Manasseh, quote, shed innocent blood very much. Uh, The blood of the godly had filled the streets of Jerusalem from one end to the other. Um, And evidently those who would not conform to the heathen practices became martyrs for their faith. And the Jewish and the Christian traditions both uh, affirm that the prophet Isaiah most likely lost his life under the reign of King Manasseh. So we have deliberately taken some time, as I said earlier, that we would do to discover the wickedness and the depths of the sins of Manasseh. The dark shadows of his decadence would only serve later to magnify the glorious grace of God. But... We see that God, in his mercy, sent um, men, he sent his prophets out to warn Manasseh, to warn the people. Verse 10 says, back in 2 Chronicles now, 2 Chronicles 33, 10, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. We see three times in 2 Kings, chapter 21, chapter 23, chapter 24, where the Lord, um, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself a little bit here. So Manasseh's sin had reached to such depths that the Lord was ready to judge. Before he, as we might say, lowered the hammer, Um, used the rod, he sent his men, as we just read. He sent his prophets. He was gracious to do that, to send send his men to warn and to see if he could use the preaching, the teaching of God's word to bring him back. You know, God does that for us, too. You're here on a Sunday night. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You come on Wednesday night. You come on Sunday morning. Why? Is that because you come just because that's what I do? I'm a Christian. I come to church. Amen. That's that's right. But if we take it the next level, we come to hear from God. Our pastor is the man of God. He is speaking God's word to you. Do you take it as such? Do you take the being under the hearing of God's word? Do you take that seriously? Do you take that as this is God talking to me? Our pastor is one of the most faithful men to the word of God that I know. He very carefully exhorts God's word to you. Don't take that for granted, folks. That is a blessing from God. But that is also a huge responsibility for us as we sit 
and we listen underneath that teaching and preaching from God's word. We say from God's word because that's what it is. We sit and we listen to hear from God himself. And God sent forth his prophets to Manasseh, a wicked king, to give him the opportunity to repent, to delay this punishment a bit longer, or to avoid it even. But he, he would not. Manasseh would not at this point. And in fact, the Babylonian uh, capture and, and exile there of the, of the kingdom of Judah, really in large part, the, the scripture places that heavy burden on Manasseh. So here are three times in 2 Kings, chapter 21, chapter 23, chapter 24, as I said earlier, the scripture says this, 2 Kings 21, 11, and 12, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, had done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him and hath made Judah also to sin with the idols, therefore saith the Lord God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judea that whosoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. Verse 11, because of Manasseh, king of Judah. Chapter 23, verse 26, notwithstanding the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his wrath wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him with all. 2 Kings 24, verses 1 through 3. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim uh, became his servant three years, and he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, and the bands of the Syrians, and the bands of the Moabites, and the bands of the children of Ammon, and set them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant prophets, surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sights for the sin of Manasseh, according to all that which he did. So the author of Chronicles does not mention this. Um, but in Kings, Second Kings, he, he does. So we look at this thing, while not, not only did he do some really bad, horrible, evil, wicked things, but God himself in, in his word declares that he was the reason, a large part of this reason for this, for this Babylonian exile. Is there any hope for this king? Is there any hope? Have you ever met someone where you think, oh, there's, there's no hope for them? They, they have gone too far. I've, perhaps you've heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. My grandfather, my dad's dad, we prayed for him ever since I, was a, uh, ever since I can remember praying. He was a self-proclaimed atheist. Um. He would occasionally come to church with us if he went to, went, uh, came to visit. And I remember one time particularly, it was evangelist was preaching where, as our habit is to do, sit on the front or second row. Even when, when I was a boy, my grandfather being just a couple, he 
clenched that pew in front of him so hard his knuckles turned white, tears streaming down his face. My dad walked over, put his arm around him, and said, come on, Dad, we'll go forward. He scrunches up his face, tears running. No. No. I watched that as a boy and said, oh, he's, he's gone. He's told God, no, he's gone too far. Years went on, Grandpa got sick. Many of us had witnessed to him over and over again. He was in the hospital two weeks before he died. My dad's pastor walked in and simply said, because he had witnessed to him so many times, he sim sim simply said, Harry, isn't it a time to accept Jesus? And my grandfather said, yes. And we believe that that man was gloriously saved that day, two weeks before he died. He actually came home from the hospital. Uh, my mom was his main caregiver, and he, he was not very nice to my mom. But she, she, by her testimony, she said he was a different man. He was not the same man. And to think... This is the mercy and the grace of our God. My mom would always, she would say, what an amazing God who would save this man who hated him his entire life. But yet because he called out to him with an open heart and humbled himself before the great almighty God, he accepted him in. Knowing, as my mom would say, knowing that he would receive no service from him here on, on this earth. But of the, of the grace of God. So now let's look at the rest of the story for Manasseh. Number two, grace abounding. Grace abounding. You know what? I didn't fill in the other... Um, Are you good? Do you have all your blanks filled in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, letter A, the rod and reproof. Sorry, the rod and reproof. I was thinking that was part of the last point. Sorry, the rod and reproof. So verses 10 11, we already read 10. We'll move on for time's sake. Number 11, wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host and the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him in fetters and carried him up to Babylon. Rod Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. Uh, the divine reproof, we see that in verse 10, where the God sent his prophets. The Assyrian rod, we see that in verse 11, where they come and they carry him away. And um, it says, Manasseh among the thorns and bound with fetters, fetters and carried him away. It's a curious ex expression there. Took Manasseh among the thorns. Uh, like the, the thorns actually refer to hooks. So it, it's very possible here that the, you can just picture Manasseh being, being bound with bronze fetters, probably hand and foot, with a hook through his nose and being led at the complete mercy of his captors. Letter B, let's read verse 12. Hardly believable in our human eyes, isn't it? Verse 12, and when, and when he was afflicted, 
he besought the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and he prayed unto him, and he entreated, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Your blank is repentance. Let her be repentance. Psalm 2 gives, gives advice. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. In a very unexpected and really almost unparalleled about face, Manasseh responds to this rod. He didn't respond to the prophets. But he did respond to the rod of divine chastisement with repentance. The Bible says that he humbled himself greatly. He humbled himself greatly. So through humility and the genuine sorrow for sin, this chief of sinners lays hold on God's abounding grace. Reminds us of what many think to be the theme verse of all of Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for us to come to him with humility and to depart from our wicked ways. So in our eyes, we look at a wicked Manasseh and we think, it's too much, he's gone too far. But God says, if you humble yourself, if you pray, if you seek my face, I will says God, even to somebody that we think is as wicked as Manasseh. Does God do it? Absolutely, he does. You no doubt have people in your lives where you've seen this happen to them as well. Absolutely. When a man fulfills his obligation, do you think God will fulfill his? Absolutely, without question. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sins. Then will I heal their land. Ezekiel chapter 18 says something very similar. Verses um, 1 through 22, but I'm not going to read all of those. But if the wicked will turn from all his sin that he doth that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he hath, that he hath done, he shall live. You know, if God can forgive a man like Manasseh, he can forgive sinners 
like you and like me. Many, most, if not all of us, have things in our past that we're not proud of. And we hope nobody ever finds out. Folks, if you have not given that to God, you need to do that today. He will. If you humble yourself, if you pray in humility and seek God, he will be found. But are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to let that go? So perhaps you, like Manasseh, have brought great damage to those who were affected by your lives, whether it's husbands, wives, children, grandchildren. Don't be discouraged. The floodgate of God's grace can be open to you as well as it was available to Manasseh. As it was available to the dying repentant thief on the cross next to Jesus. As it was available to the deceitful tax collector Zacchaeus. As it was available to Saul, who later became Paul. God's grace. To finish your outline there, restoration letter C. Not only did God forgive him, this is amazing. Verse uh, 13, and he prayed unto him and was entreated of him and heard his supplication and, and, brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom, then Manasseh knew he was God, the Lord, he was God. And it goes through, uh, your first blank under letter C is military strength of Jerusalem. You see in verse uh, 14, he built a wall, just re-strengthened strengthened the city. Uh, he removed the, pa the pagan altars and idols. Praise God. Verse 15, and he took away the strange gods, and the idols out of the house of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all the idols which he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord. And in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings. And thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. So your blanks under letter C is military strength, removal of pagan altars, and then lastly, restoration of the worship of the one true God.